Hello everyone, this is GradCast, the official radio show of uh, Society of Graduate Students here at Western Ontario. My name is Yusuf. And I'm your co-host Liam Clifford. And today we are here with Shannon McKechnie, who's doing her PhD. She's a third year PhD in the Faculty of Education, studying critical policy, equity and leadership research, uh, that particular arc. So welcome to our show, Shannon. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so could you tell us about uh, more about yourself and how you came to be interested in critical policy making for higher education, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll kind of go back to the start, I guess. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Toronto, and I studied um, sociocultural anthropology. Um, kind of nearing the end of that degree, I got a couple of research opportunities that were mainly focused on like the anthropology of education. Um, and that kind of sparked my interest initially in um, studying education as like a, it's kind of strange to be like in education, studying education, but I started to get interested in doing that. Um, and just kind of questioning some of the experiences that I was having at university as well. Um, during that time, I also worked at the University of Toronto in um, kind of this really broad field called student affairs. Um, within that field, I worked in like student leadership and student mentorship programming um, and in residence life as well. So I had some questions about those experiences about the work that I was doing um, and decided I wanted to study this in graduate school. Um, I was introduced to my now supervisor at Western and um, she was a big reason why I decided to come to Western rather than stay at the University of Toronto, uh, mainly because I hadn't explored policy specifically as kind of a site of investigation um, in education. I was, really, I was really mainly looking at like students and student experience before this. Um, and her work really challenged me to, to think about what is in place that's like governing the student experience more broadly um, that maybe as a student you don't think about. Um, so I was really eager to work with her. Um, and so I came here for my master's. Um, oh, and, okay. So you've been yeah. here for roughly yeah. four years now. Yeah, this is my, this is my fifth year at Western. Um, cool. So basically when I was finishing my master's too, I was like, I'm not really ready to leave. Um, my supervisor and I are doing really great work, really like interesting and new kind of fresh stuff. And some of our projects weren't even like concluded. So I decided to stay on and yeah, now I'm in my third year. Um, but really it was, it was, um, it was thinking about how to study education that brought me to policy, um, as something new, uh, right. to look at rather than just like an individual's, um, experience, which I think is very valuable as well. But, um, I wanted to think about, okay, what's the bigger issue kind of out there? And that brought me to policy. May I ask a follow-up question as well? That's super fascinating. So when you're studying policy making in education itself, and you're also in some ways getting educated as well, it's like some sort of meta work going on that yes, you're learning and also reinforcing those principles that are actually working effectively for you. Yeah, I honestly, I talk about that all the time when people <laughs> ask me about um, or even when I say, like, I st I'm doing my PhD in higher education policy, people are like, but you're also in higher education. And I'm like, yes, it's so meta to be kind of critically investigating these policies that I'm fully governed by. Um, when we get into, like, my topic, I'll share, like, I study employability and from a critical perspective, but yet at the same time, like, I am pretty anxious about employability and 
I'm thinking about what I'm going to do when I'm done. So like, it's a, it's a very meta experience, but I think that that's also kind of the point of graduate school is to like ask a lot of those questions um, and spend your time thinking about them and answering them. Uh, so it's, it's meta, but it's very productive at the same time. Very good. Well, I must say it is exciting to have another UFT alum amongst <laughs> our ranks. I also too went to UFT, so go Varsity Blues. Um, <laughs> now, I am, I am intrigued um, by how you connected anthropology and education, because the, that was not something that I initially, I guess, connected with those, with those two things. You want to just explain to the audience a little bit more about how you make that connection and what value it has to your current research? Yeah, so I guess at a really simple level, um, anthropology is like the study of humans and human culture and how humans interact. Um, it's definitely like similar in that way, I think, to sociology as well, but um, more on kind of like the human culture aspect rather than society, like the social. Um, my connection, I think, that I drew was more from the method side. Um, I really, the experience that I had in undergraduate um, was mainly through like the anthropology of education part uh was through doing like original research um i had two opportunities um in my fourth and fifth year at U of T to do original research and um doing ethnography which is kind of the traditional uh method used in anthropology was uh pretty incredible like as as a method it's so immersive and it's um very involved and I felt really impacted by that and wanted to kind of continue to explore anthropological methods in education. Um, then when I came to graduate school, I started to explore um, anthropology of policy. So now I can apply a kind of policy ethnography um, to education, but largely I think it's just, um, I think just about studying people and studying how people relate and um, how people make meaning from their relations and those things um, have remained important to me from moving from anthropology into education. Very so good. Well, sorry, Yusuf, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, well, um, so, so you use this social material perspective in trying to interpret policy making decisions. What are the kinds of frameworks out there that people might still use to, to give different perspectives on the same matter and thereby do some collaborative work. Mm -hmm. So something that was new to me when I came to Western and started studying policy, um, mainly because I didn't really have the background in policy at all, um, I had to kind of start at the beginning and look at like, what is policy and what are some methods to study policy? And a lot of, um, I guess, kind of the dominant methods for studying policy is through like a rational policy cycle. So we identify this problem, it gets on the agenda, um, we create policy, we select the policy that's going to be implemented, we implement it, and then we assess the policy. And a lot of policy work um, and questions that we ask about policy are based on that cycle. Um, in, in my department at Western, that's not really how we study policy. Um, a critical policy approach is going much beyond that cycle. Um, and asking just different questions about who's affected, um, who's excluded, who's included, whose uh, choices and priorities um, are being seen here, uh, what are the effects? Like, so we're, we're asking some of those bigger questions um, from a critical perspective. So I do see some ways that um, there are other critical theories I think that I continue to work with, or at least have in the back of my mind. Um, in my master's work, I mainly worked with discourse analysis, 
um, before I moved into this more socio-material perspective, uh, which we can talk about as well. Um, but there are lots of like complementary um, approaches to studying this that are of the same critical aim. Very good. And I, I certainly find one of the, I don't know if cleavage is the right word, um, but this sort of divide or divergence um, between those who view policy in a reactive sense and those who view it in a proactive sense. In your, in your research, have you found that either side has led you to, I guess, become indoctrinated in its ways? And do you think that that split has any value in sort of finding some sort of middle ground? Hmm. I, I don't think that I have thought of policy um, in either of those ways. Uh, mm. Part of my theoretical training has taught me to um, question why policy even exists for problems in the first place. Um, I work with some theoretical perspectives that ask us to uh, problematize problems. So when, when a problem is declared, it's actually defined by the policy that's designed to solve it. Does that, it's, it's a little bit um, backwards, but it's a way to, mm -hmm. way to think about um, when we're told that there's a problem via the policy that's being designed to uh, react to it, let's say, or even be proactive about that problem, um, we should think about what that how the policy is defining that problem um, that is maybe uh, guiding us to think about it in a certain way and not see possible alternatives for that policy. So I think, um, I think, I think that the alternatives to policy is kind of more of my interest than whether or not it's reactive or proactive. Does that make sense? It does. Now, when you say alternatives to policy, could you perhaps explain to the audience what exactly you mean by that and how these are more effective ways to look at making that, that positive change? Sure. I think um, maybe not so much as alternatives as in like a whole new construction of how to govern but rather a policy that is far more inclusive that is not made in close like behind closed doors um, that is engaging with grassroots community partners the people who are governed by that policy like those are processes for policy that i think are much more um, responsive in, a, in an inclusive and in an appropriate and relevant way um, than a lot of the policy that we see. So student employment you mentioned in your abstract as well is, is something crucial for so many of us uh, when we choose our courses, for example, or what university do I have to go and those sort of decisions that we make in terms of our preferences of projects, for example. Um, it goes down to uh, what kind of employment opportunities we might have later on and whether it's worthwhile to, to make the, these sort of choices. Um, you mentioned that for you, you also take this into as central when it comes to um, the issue of making policies. Uh, could you t tell us more about why it's so important to think from that particular perspective? Yeah, so we kind of jumped into the policy conversation. I'd love to just go back a little bit and give like the elevator pitch i guess about what i do um so i study policy through the issue of student employability um i mainly look at this from like an undergraduate student perspective but i the work is becoming a little bit more broad so 
um, I would include all like university graduates in that. Um, so university student employability um, is kind of the main issue that I'm looking at. And I came to this because of probably my own questions that I was seeing um, through a lot of my um, friends, myself, um, about what do we do when we're done? Our families are asking what we're gonna do with this, if studying anthropology is worth it, or how am I gonna get a job out of that? Like these questions are um, pervasive and like annoying. So I think I was, I was just like, okay, I need to like investigate this a little bit. Um, I have the privilege to attend graduate school and I'm gonna spend the next years asking these questions. Um, so how I get to that issue through policy is about, um, I started to see so many policies coming out about different styles of learning um, that are supposed to develop our employability. Um, so the real hot one right now is experiential learning and work integrated learning. We're seeing so much money coming out of the government to fund universities in this way, um, mainly in Ontario, like the um, performance-based funding was this new model that was supposed to be implemented. It was delayed because of COVID, um, but this this model is going to come into an effect in effect in Ontario, where the majority of universities' funding is going to be based or tied to metrics of performance, mainly um, related to labor market performance of students. Um, so we see that like. The concern about employability is like not only within us individually as students um, or within our families, um, but it's it's in our institutions in the way that they're funding their own internal programs because it's in the way that policy is structured right now that they're getting funded. Um, so all of those things kind of coming together, I became really interested in studying what are the policy effects of this on students who are concerned about their employability and their ability to have an economically viable future um, while they're in university. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a question that's coming out of this like larger concern about what the purpose of higher education is. Um, do we go to university to get a job or not? Is that the job of the university to prepare us or not? Those are some of the kind of the bigger philosophical questions I think that I'm grappling with always. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess. And, then, and then I like narrow it down through um, <laughs> how we see that coming out of policy. I, I was wondering, what about uh, those rare people who have no idea? I'm talking about myself uh, <laughs> of what employment might look like. Who just want to do what what gives them a lot of joy? So, for example, I went into mm -hmm. philosophy because I just loved it, and I was I was willing to just somehow pursue this because I think I was not too bad at it as, as well. Uh, and now I don't know what will happen in the future, but is there, uh, or do people also discuss some of the non-student student employment issues when it comes to policymaking as well? Um, I, would, I would say less in, um, actually no, yes, in policy, I see this a lot as well. Um, and this is kind of tied to the experiential learning piece, especially for PhDs. This is like a, a very dominant discourse in, um, in policy discussions broadly about PhDs is that um, we have to be better about articulating the skills that we develop during our studies, um, because regardless of what you study, you're developing project man management skills, you're developing research skills, you're developing um, teamwork skills like so we have to be better at um, communicating those so that we can um, 
tell and show employers that we are able to um, do all these things that will make us successful in their office, in their, in their uh, place of work, um, regardless of what we study. So, I mean, I also, I study this because I think that it's endlessly interesting. And I think that, um, I think that university can be transformative. And I think that students are really incredible. Um, and that's definitely the motivation for um, why I'm studying it. It's a very niche translation into a job. Um, so yeah, I think like we have to be able, we have to be able to communicate, um, we have to be able to communicate what we can do um, within and outside of our research topics. And like <laughs> these types of conversations are uh, interesting for me because on one hand, I can feel myself um, repeating a lot of the the uh, policy discourse that we are being sold about employability while in the back of my head, like critiquing it and wondering why, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's this balance of, um, of what we see as like our lived reality as students, as PhD students. Um, and I think that this go for, goes for undergraduate students as well. What's our lived reality of um, not having enough money, not getting enough money to pursue this, um, needing to like get a job right away with this other aspect of wanting everyone to have the opportunity to study something that brings them joy, um, that they're interested in, that they're good at, and not just pursuing something because it has an economic output. I am I'm beyond intrigued at your I guess, description uh, of university as this sort of transformative experience, this idea that universities can act as these sort of beacons for helping young people enter the job market more freely and easily. However, when I hear the word transformative, that to me insinuates that we still have a long ways to go. Mm. So as students, do you think that we should feel a little hard done by? Do you think that students and watch Western revoke my fun, my funding, but do you, do you think that universities can be doing more for their students in, in regards to giving them better chances of employability? Um, that's a great question. And I, yeah, I think I sit on, I sit on the fence maybe. I, I see incredible work happening um, to develop employability because universities are receiving a lot of money to do that. Um, other organizations are also receiving a lot of money to do that. Um, and that's part of my research as well as looking at some of those other organizations. Um, my perspective on university as transformative for students um, comes from my background in student affairs, which is a, a professional field that's kind of theoretically based in this body of work called student development theory. Um, and that looks at the kind of journeys of students in their learning, in their social experiences, um, in their personal development over the time that they attend university, um, based on a lot of things, based on um, peers, uh, based on exposure to new ideas. So all of those things um, and kind of that theoretical work has definitely had an influence on me and how I see um, the potential of the university. I'm also very cognizant of um, the limitations of the university is a transformative space based on its uh, uh, violent and ongoing histories of, of, um, of racism, of sexism, of colon uh, colonization. Like there's, there are limits to the university as a transformative space. Um, 
so I think part of doing critical work is important for me to um, to think about how the university might be transformative or might work towards a transformative potential um, by breaking down those barriers. Uh, I think that's partly why I am critical of employability um, and employability programming in universities because it's it's limited access. Um, many students can't access these opportunities, whether they're extracurricular or even through the classroom. I think about um, the the kind of mandate from the government that every student has a meaningful experiential learning opportunity by the time they graduate. This is kind of the vision of, uh, of the government for higher education right now. And um, who can access that necessarily? What does experiential learning mean um, if it means um, external to the classroom opportunities um, or uh, internships or co-ops like who can participate in all of these things is kind of a big question um, and what what are the standards of employability that we're we're teaching um, if those are kind of based in corporate whiteness um, very narrow uh, scope of uh, qualities and skills so there's a lot of questions about the effectiveness I guess of these programs um, for me based on those uh, aspects. Hey Shannon, actually, so our producer told us in privately that 10 minutes, and I thought he meant that we had only gone just 10 minutes, which would have been fine, uh, but it's 10 minutes left and I was like, what, time flies. This is yeah, really it does. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, so I guess I'm gonna trim down some of our questions and I was thinking, so COVID-19 of course has impacted all of us so much in our research and also how things might transform in the future as well. I was wondering in your field and your area of research as well, how has this pandemic impacted you, your research and um, how you might navigate in, in the coming months as well? Mm -hmm. um, I'm very lucky that I mainly worked from home to begin with. Um, Right now I'm in my office and I have an office on campus and the faculty of education building is luckily basically off campus. So I don't really have to um, go on campus and mingle with all the people there right now. But uh, I was lucky to be able to easily transition to working from home all the time. I know that many other graduate students didn't have that, um, that opportunity and were very uh, uh, halted, I guess, in their work, not being able to go to the lab. Um, I did experience some shifts, I guess, in my work. Um, I'm at the, I'm finishing my proposal right now. Um, so I was kind of in that space where I was able to make some shifts to respond to COVID. Um, at this point, like you can't talk about employability and students seeking or um, seeking employment without talking about the impacts that COVID-19 has had on that. Um, so that has been what I've been up to this summer is kind of shifting my project to really account for that um, and, and make sure that I'm not um, leaving out how COVID has really shifted things. Um, I'm a mainly a qualitative researcher, so it also has shifted that a little bit um, because I'm not able to do research in person um, with participants. Luckily, I was planning on doing a major um, digital aspect of this project prior to COVID-19, um, so that has kind of remained. Um, that's something that I have been working on with my supervisor the whole time that I've been here is developing a digital methodology for um, policy analysis 
um, from this kind of socio-material uh, perspective. So we work with, um, it's called the Digital Methods Initiative at the University of Amsterdam. Um, and we've worked with them for a few years on developing, um, or I guess using their tools that they've created and creating um, kind of a, a, a methodology for doing policy analysis uh, using their tools. So I've been continuing to build that um, part of my work and I'm lucky that I had that already kind of in my back pocket um, now that research is not really able to be done in person but I'll still obviously be, be using Zoom and um, other things that are online as well for my work. Wonderful. Very good. Now I know Yusuf indicated that we are almost out of time but I do have one more question I would like to ask you um, and this is in regards to just purely advice you know as students we we recognize that it is a privilege to attend university i think that's something that you highlighted very well um but those who are lucky enough to to be here what advice would you have for them based on your research on any sort of tips or suggestions for increasing their chances of employability after they leave um yeah i think that my advice or what i would share given that question is kind of twofold um, on one hand, I would encourage students to um, to like research what's going on in higher education and not just be passive about their experience. Um, know that there are people whose entire careers are designed around their experience at the institution and um, and who they might be when they're done. Um, yeah, there are whole fields that are, are dedicated to this. And I think a lot of students don't know that. I know at least for me, when I learned this, I was like, wait, what? Like I have questions, <laughs> I, I have many, many questions. Um, so learn about that and get involved politically with your experience. Um, if you don't like something that's going on or something that's not offered at your university or, um, or, or, or you need something, like get involved and ask those questions and um, make some noise, I think. Um, university is kind of different now that it's mainly virtual, but I think a lot of those, those opportunities are still there for students. Um, I would also encourage students to, um, to think big about what they wanna do um, and not limit themselves. Um, because there are so many opportunities to engage with experiential learning at this point based on how these policies have rolled out and how, um, how, how much money there is to kind of go around for this um, through mainly, I mean, the university, but also some external organizations. Um, think about ways that you could study what you love and find a way to, um, to get some experiential learning opportunities within that field. Um, there are big problems in society right now, and we don't just need doctors and lawyers to solve them. We need everyone who's thinking critically about society to, um, to get involved and have a voice in that. And I would love to see like artists um, creating work about the world that they're seeing. And I would love to see like musicians creating work about the world that they're seeing. I'd love to see more social scientists engaged in policy. Like all of those things are things that I'm kind of hopeful about, I guess. And would love to like, that's I think my message overall to students. Thank you. And Liam, you had a question about the 
the uh, the information about your social media? Uh, yes. So Shannon, our interview is concluded. So we wanted to say thank you very much for coming on. I thought this was a really interesting chat um, about student employability, which pertains to all of us. Um, would you like to share any social media and or website with our listeners today? Yeah, um, listeners can find me on Twitter. Um, so I mainly use my Twitter for academic work and it is um, at S underscore McKechnie, M-C-K-E-C-H-N-I-E. And then my website, my personal or my professional website is www.shannonmckechnie, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-C-K-E-C-H-N-I-E dot C-A. And I'm sure you guys will have that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Shan, for coming on to our show. And it was a pleasure uh, learning about these things. And I, this could have gone a lot longer as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love talking about it. And I, like I said before to you guys, like everyone kind of has an opinion or some kind of touch point on employability. And, um, and I'm learning too on policy and our, our relationships with policy. So uh, it was really great to talk to you. Awesome. So this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Yusuf, and my co-host was Liam Clifford. Uh, we've been speaking with Shannon McCagney, McCack um, and this episode was produced by uh, Gavin Tolometi. Um, if you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on the radio at Western Radio, 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, or Spotify. Alternatively, selected podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful night.